Being a mom is the toughest job there is, and it doesn't come with instructions. So it's okay if you don't have all the answers. We'll figure it out together. This is Mom Brain with Ilaria Baldwin and Daphne Oz. Hey guys, welcome back to Mom Brain. I'm Daphne. And I'm Ilaria, and welcome to season two. <laughs> Today we have Jeannie Gaffigan, who is a friend of both Daphne and mine, and she is funny and amazing. She is a mama of six, although um, one of her babies passed away at 23 weeks. Um, She is the wife to funny man Jim Gaffigan. I've known them for years and they're just kind of, they're such a dynamic duo. Mm -hmm. I mean, they're so funny because they're in Hollywood and they're funny and they're crass and you're always doing like these wild, wild ideas. Um, And then then, they're actually like, and then they're also real family people. And they like go to church and and they, um, they have have like this really like fun life where they everything is about their kids. Isn't that the beauty of the family dynamic of like no one is one dimensional. No mm-hmm. one is just just their persona or just their career or just their family life. And they seem to just blend it all together so beautifully. So Jeannie, um, super mom, super director, writer, all of these different kinds of things. And then she finds out that she has a brain tumor that is both in the shape and size of a pear which is why she came out with her new book, When Life Gives You Pears. Very luckily, she is safely on the other side. She is more like vibrant than ever and, you know, out in the world putting forth this amazing message. And I think the best thing, because I don't don't think people often associate in, you know, uh, sickness with comedy, but she's putting her own hilarious spin on it, as we can all expect. So you guys are going to love this interview with Jeannie Gaffigan. We have all of our guests introduce themselves. Hello, I'm Jeannie Gaffigan. I am the mother of five children, six if you include my husband. <laughs> and I am a director, a writer, an executive producer, an executive baby machine, and a survivor, <laughs> and a warrior, and uh, author of a new book, When Life Gives You Pears. And where can we follow you? You can follow me at Jeannie Gaffigan on Twitter and Jeannie Gaffigan on Instagram. Did you ever expect to have so many kids? Was it a plan? Um, well, at I don't think so. I mean, we joke like Jim did say very early on we were dating. He's like, I want to marry you and I'm going to have six kids with you. And he'd always say like these wild things. So it wasn't like it wasn't on the radar that Jim wanted a lot of kids. Um and I was, I'm the oldest of nine. So I was like, I'm done having kids. I had my kids already, <laughs> you know, because my mom was always pregnant and nursing. Right. Yeah. And um, I kind of was around babies all the time and it didn't seem like something that I wanted to like do again. But, um, you know, first baby, I was just hooked. Right. I was like, I love this feeling. I love being pregnant. I love giving birth, even though it's hard. I love the feeling afterwards. The, you know, it's... And you have like this little present. And like, you, and we, every time you walk in the room, you're like, there's something waiting for me. Mm-hmm. And I love the unconditional love. And I love the chaos. I love the drama. I don't know. I just love it. So I'm hooked. Isn't that funny, though, that you can love something that's hard, that you can love something that is stressful or chaotic or, you know, takes you out of the driver's seat a little bit and puts yeah. puts the control in someone else's tiny hands sometimes. Um, I think that's really a, a wonderful way to think about um, 
all the rewards that do come with motherhood that that are sometimes unanticipated. So how do you do you do you think you I mean, you grew up with, with so many siblings and clearly were kind of the the second mom to them. I feel very I relate to that a lot. I'm the oldest of four, but my mom had us all very staggered. So it was and your mom's one of many. My mom's the oldest of six. So we were there was always tons of family. around, And to me, that's why I wanted a lot of kids was like, I want to replicate that amazing insanity and chaos and the love that happens around the dinner table and the holidays and like the, all the food that goes with all of those things I wanted to recreate for for us. But I totally feel like I was already a mother before I became a mother. And I going into it, I was like, I don't know. I mean, I knew that I wanted a big family, but I didn't know how big I was going to go kind of thing. Um, but I want I'm curious. I want to hear you talk a little bit more about what it is that 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 chaos provides or that, that like what you love about. I mean, you've got six Six? Five. You have five. I'm giving you a six. And um I also had um actually my actual third child. I had a a, a premature delivery and the baby did not wind up living, but that's also my child too. Yeah, and we right. have a birthday for her and she has a birth certificate and she lived for one day and her name is Maria Lourdes. Mm-hmm. And I, you know, I always tell my kids that she's, you know, they're gonna see her in heaven. She has a little sister. Yeah. Um and my I, three of my kids have a big sister. And so um, and I I write about that in the book for the first time I've um, ever really shared the story, but it kind of fit in with what I went through um, in my, um, you know, journey through this illness, um, a lot of things came back to me that made me realize, like, just like if you'd work out for a marathon, like, you don't start running the marathon and, and win the marathon, you know, you start small. And I think that life gives us little small doses of really painful things that we have to go through to make us stronger and to make us able to get through that challenge that lies around the corner because mm-hmm. the other thing is about and I'm going to answer your question no, actually I know when I tangent question, yeah. but um that I think that as life goes on and you do have big families you're making a choice to open yourself up to more pain right and it's not really something that you you're like oh more kids equals more joy yes but also you have more kids get sick more things to worry about more you know the angst to yeah. go through in your life. And so there is also something that you understand life through kids. So it's like, you can't just take the good. You can't just be like, you know, there's jokes about the, that when you're a grandparent, you can just take the good and then when they're bad, you can send them back to their mom and just have like <laughs> the, the ice cream and the fun. And then there's no, um, you know, tonsillitis or whatever it is. Yeah. And so I think that, um, this feeling and this answer to this question about why I'm I'm so ad- addicted to this kind of chaotic big family life is that it is a metaphor for life, and I feel that the um, that opening yourself up to to this kind of suffering that you go through with childbirth, but then the joy of having a, a cute little baby, they go together. So through suffering comes joy. And so that's a really amazing way to look at life. Now, one of the many things that that inspires me about you is, you know, if I get a cold, it's like the end of the world in my family and I'm not allowed to get sick. You know, you have to keep on going. Whereas like, you know, if if my husband gets sick, it's like everything screeches to a halt. Nobody better go in the room. You know, I mean, the whole thing or, you know, my kids, they'll, I'll be up with them all night as as a mother does. And, and you do it because that's what you ha- you should do and you have to do. 
I haven't gotten sick the way that you got sick. Uh, we had Cheryl Crow on here, and, and she talked about her battle with cancer. Um, and I just wonder, I always try to think, what what would it be like? How scary would it be like when you get bad news, like the bad news that you got, and thank God you you know, you know, have recovered from it. Emotionally, how, how do you deal with that? Um, it is a journey. It's not, it wasn't something that I could deal with. Like, I couldn't, I think there was some denial of how bad it was when I got the news and I just like anything else. And I, I know that I'm, I'm preaching to the choir here when something happens and you are, you know, the, the leader, I mean, they, they say the husband's the leader, but we know yeah. that the mom is the leader of the family, um, that you can't run and hide in the bedroom and say, Oh no, I'm sick or, Oh, I'm, you know, I can't handle this. Um, even if you can't handle it, you have to try to handle it because you are um, a warrior and a fighter and you have to move straight on ahead into this thing. And when you, so I, there was a little bit of denial about how bad it was mm -hmm. for me because it was like, I couldn't really say that this is the end or this is going to be the hardest thing in my life. It's just like, I'm going to deal with this one step at a time. Mm -hmm. But also, I think that women are built for what you are talking about. We are built to be like, okay, we have to multitask. Like, I think it's evolutionary. I, I, I envision, you know, um, hundreds and thousands of years ago when we were like hunter-gatherers that the men would go out because they didn't have the babies, right? So we were always having babies and like feeding babies. And men would go out into the bush and sit there with their spear or whatever and just sit there all day staring and waiting for that beast to come, right? And focusing on one thing. And we were nursing the baby and having the baby and thatching the hut and gathering the herbs. And I mean, I think evolutionary, our brains have been developed too. And I'm not an anthropologist. This is just my idea yeah. of like how we um, how how women and women I know are able to juggle so many things. And I think that what we do is we develop a mechanism to, you know, hold back on our own needs because we feel that we have to and we feel somehow us getting sick or us saying, you know, mommy needs a bed day. It's just not appropriate and it's just not right who's going to pick up the slack and who's going to pick up the slack yeah. and even if you say you know what this is the deal mother's day five babysitters are coming over <laughs> i'm getting a massage i'm having like a bottle of wine and i'm crashing all day <laughs> there's also something that's like um you know negative about that like mm -hmm. it's viewed as something like oh you know they they have all that help and yeah. you know she doesn't She's not really running that family or whatever. And there's or we feel that there's going to be judgmental voices on us taking time for ourselves, And at least that's how it was for me. And I don't want to generalize how it is for everyone else. But there's that voice in your head saying, I have to do this. Or you do delegate to other people and they just don't do it right. And I and I, that's one of the problems with me is that I can hire like 10 people. I can hire someone to clean my house and you know, walk my dog and babysit my kids or whatever. And I'll be like, okay, that outfit. No. Um, <laughs> did you bring this bag with you? No. Okay. Did you um, vacuum first and now you're dusting? Like that's insane. Like I'm just a micromanager. And so that energy is also, you're also doing it. 
Yeah. Right. It's it doesn't like, let you relax. It, it doesn't let you relax and let let go. And let go. And There's no turning your brain off, um, regardless of the you know if you're able to have people around to help you or not. And I think, you know, I think we don't not to harp on the Instagram parenting train, but I do think sometimes the goal of Instagram with you know with sharing ideas about parenting and sharing ideas about kids. The intention is a good one. It's to like let you in on my world and let you see how I do it. And here's what I fed my kids for dinner. And here's what we did today and whatever. But I think sometimes that intention doesn't match the resulting emotional feeling in other people of like, oh my God, like why am I messing everything up? Why aren't I performing at this top level? And I think when you said, you know, when you when you have more kids or you have any children, you open yourself up to as much pain as love because you have something that you love so much. Of course, anything you love so much, anytime anything ha- they stub their toe, they get a splinter. You're like the world's over. You know, you want to make them feel better. The most, the most anguish a parent can be in is having their child suffer and not be able to fix it. Right. And I think um, that was just. I want to just highlight that for a second because I I do think we focus on. I think I think the focus on parenting right now is all about is all about the positive or all about the the Instagrammed image or all about the like happy, happy, happy. And what I mean what, when you're referencing how difficult it is to turn off any part of your mom, uh, mom brain <laughs> and, to, and to always feel like the buck stops with you and you're in charge and you are the train conductor. And even if you're delegating, you are still the train conductor is that I think I think we're always looking for ways to do this on mom brain is to is to give our listeners a way to feel like acknowledging the the dark and the light doesn't mean that you're doing something wrong. It means that you're living it fully. It means that you are present in that relationship. And I think that that's, it's so beautiful to hear you talk about it because it's clear how much joy your kids bring and your husband, like it's clear how much, how much the pain that's been in your life or the challenge that's been in your life has actually for you highlighted the good that's in your life. Um, and so this, the second thing I wanted to go to was, was cause you, you brought it up to me. We had a chance to, <laughs> I've been following Jeannie around the city. We like ran into it. I was three. following her actually. <laughs> it was hilarious. Um, but you mentioned to me that, um, about your faith. And I want to, yeah. I would love to talk a little bit about how, where, you know, were you, were you raised religious or was it something you came into afterwards uh, or later in life and, and how that sort of plays a role, especially as you raise a family in today's modern world? How do you, because I think people sometimes think spirituality, spirituality is interesting to them, but like, you know, re- religion feels antiquated. And I, and I don't think that, but I'm, you know, I'm really curious to hear how you marry those in modern life now and how it helps you like raise your family and deal with the obstacles that come along. Well, um, I'm not no like expert on Catholicism or whatever, but I'm like, I was raised Catholic. Okay. I didn't go to Catholic school, but my mother is like the most Catholic person in the whole world. <laughs> and she um, which was really annoying when I was in high school and I was like, nobody go in my house. There's like an altar of the Virgin Mary in my living room. Don't ask. <laughs> um, but, and my father was like a secular intellectual. So oh, I had like these, yeah. So I had this really like, um, kind of eclectic, um, um, upbringing, but my mother from when I was, you know, before I could talk was, um, spiritual. So she would always talk about guardian angels and angels being there. And when, you know, if I was scared of, a, you know, someone mean to me or a bully, she'd say, you know, Michael, the archangel is with you or, you know, the angel is with you or God is, you know, God was this character, this real thing that lived in our house. And she talked about God all the time. 
So there wasn't a time. So I just kind of accepted God. So even when I was at the age where most people were like, there is no God. Like I always knew there was a God. I didn't want to go to church and visit him ever. (laughs) But I felt like I could always say like, hey, God, I, you know, I would do well on this test. Like it was always something real. So, yes, I was always, um, you know, a spiritual person. Um, And when I did get married, I wanted to get married in a Catholic church. I felt like it was real. I felt like that was a real marriage because you have to really, you know, go through the classes and talk to your husband about, okay, here are the five reasons why people get divorced. You know, it's infidelity, it's money, it's location, it's the number of children that you want. There's actually like sociological reasons why people get divorced. And we have to sit down in a room and talk to each other. It's actually very modern, even though it's a very archaic, like, I think everyone should do that. It's an mm-hmm. important conversation. It's, it's pre-Kena. It's called pre-Kena. It's like, it's uh-huh. a covenant. Like, you know, God and Abraham made a covenant. You're making a covenant between you and your husband and God. You're yeah. making a pact. So you're saying, if I march down this aisle with you in this Catholic church, that we're never going to part. That's the... That's what this idea is. And Mm. here's the idea. These are the reasons why, you know, I mean, even like addiction, like there's really good reasons why people break up. But it's like saying, like, if this happens to us, how are we going to take it? And it's supposed to say either, you know, or get off the pot. Yeah. It's like you either have to make a commitment here or. Um, not get married. You know, it's like this is a, a bond, a pact between you. So there was something really um, meaningful to me about getting married in the Catholic Church because it also was like kind of inconvenient because you wanted to get married outside and they're like, no, and you wanted to get, you know, you wanted to go to destination. And they're like, no, you have to do it here or you have to get a letter. You're like, what? And um, a letter makes everything better. Yeah. And then some people are like, no letter. And so um, essentially, um, I really felt like getting married in the Catholic Church was really, I meant I was really married. I was really married. And then like baptism and like, there's all these sacraments that are like really meaningful from my tradition. So tradition and spirituality together are like how I define myself. And when I got sick and when I was losing a baby and when I was um, you know, in other really difficult times in my life, even like having a baby that was going to be healthy, but it felt like it was not going to happen for me and like labor stopped and things like that. Like there's a certain point where you have to, for or I have to go beyond the physical world and I have to go into the spiritual world because it doesn't make any sense and I don't feel like I have the strength. How did you tell your kids that you were sick? And I put them in two groups. I put the 11 and the 12-year-olds in one group. And I said, we need me and dad to talk to you guys. And we were completely honest with them. Um, Except, and I write about this in my book too, we said there is no chance that I'm going to die, even though we did not know that. But we needed them to say that there's not a chance that I'm going to die. That was really important for us to convey to them. But we had to say that I was going to go away for a while and that I was going, I had a brain tumor and they didn't know if it was cancer or if it was benign, but it had to come out immediately. Mm -hmm. And I have to go to the hospital and, you know, sorry for the 
to rush, but goodbye. And um, then with the little ones, um, it was more like we told them stories like, okay, you know how when people have ton- the tonsils and they're bad and they have to come out and they go to the doctor and they go to sleep and the doctor has to take the tonsils out. Well, mom has like bad tonsils in her brain. And so they're going to do that. And my kids were at, they were just like, are you going to get a gift from the treasure chest? You know, oh, yeah. it was like <laughs> stickers. <laughs> yes. Lollipop. And we were like, yes, a lot of them. They're like, great. You know, and my my son, Michael, was like, I just really hope you don't have to get a shot. Oh. Like he was like, just those shots oh, are oh. the worst. And so that was kind of the level. Um, and so it was more of the, oh, especially my my eldest daughter, because she was just about to turn 13. And I just saw that look in her eye, like, you know, goodbye childhood, you know, yeah. she, I, because she knows that Jim is like a giant kid. Yeah. And um, however, I do have to say that he, this changed him. He had like, they were like wheeling me into the OR and a, gurney and i was like my password is like the fresh direct order comes on to you know i was like where do i even begin she she was her mind was back in that do not vacuum before you die yes Yes. but truly like even in that moment your brain is not allowed to turn off and it's so funny you think about that like we have our last will and testament but do i have my password saved somewhere so the fresh direct doesn't get you know interrupted but but um I mean, that's that's interesting, too. Like, you know, obviously the focus was on you and the focus was on your healing. But Jim had to pick up a lot of the slack. Yeah. I, I mean, what was that process like? I mean, it was insane because here's what happened. We, the brain surgery was not the, the end of the story at all. That was the beginning, the beginning. <laughs> because it was like diagnosis, emergency surgery. Well, yeah, so what was the timing? Because uh, how did that how, like, were you, did you know you were sick and, and you no. went to the doctor? Like, how, what happened? No, I was like, um, we just talked about when you're, you got a cold and our evolutionary brain is like, can't do the cold. I just walk around with a cold blowing my nose all day. Yep. That's what you do. You get out of bed and you stumble to school and drop off the kids and you go to work. Were you getting headaches or? Um, yeah. Oh yeah. Headaches, headaches, dizziness. But it wasn't all, I compartmentalized these things. I got headaches. That was one thing. It was allergies. I would, I stood up, I would get dizzy and I'd be like, oh, I got to fill up my water. I'm not drinking enough water. I I would walk around with a full water bottle all day and never take a sip out of it. I don't know if you've ever done that, but you fill up your water bottle and then you just forget you. You're like, oh, it's too much. It's going to take too much time to unscrew the... Too much, too much effort. <laughs> so I'm, I'm the opposite. I'm a camel. I, dr- I, I like I, yeah, gallons like, of water. Well, I mean, day. I was not. I was like neglecting drinking water, but I would try to like drink water, but I wouldn't drink water. You would do the weight lift. You would I would just it carry you. it. And I was like, okay, this, you know, bicep was... <laughs> but anyway, so what wound up happening was is because I lost my hearing in my left ear. And I was at the pediatrician with um, all five kids because I make five appointments in a row because it's just easier that way. So, yeah. And um, all the forms for school and camp, you know, that have to be signed off by the doctor and the stamps and all that stuff. And, or they can't get in. I have different forms. So it's a very complicated process. And the doctor um, who's amazing, who's a family practitioner, um, and so she's looking at me and I'm 
you know, like leaning my head towards her. And she's like, what's wrong with your ear? And I'm like, I just can't hear out of it. And she's like, how long has that been happening? I'm like, a few months, I don't know. And I said, it's just been bad for a while. And then she's like, yeah, that's not good. And I was like, well, I thought that, you know, maybe I was the age, like you start wearing glasses and you, you know, and she's like, no, that's not, you don't just lose the hearing in your ear. And I was like, I was kind of denying myself for fear of being weak or not being there for my kids or I don't know what it was, but I had to like face that, that um, the ear was the thing that did it. And so she sent me to ENT and like a month later I went to ENT and he couldn't find anything wrong with my ear and um, gave me a Flonase, you know, and a prescription for some kind of steroids. And I a cycle of, you know, pills and I came back and it was still like, I couldn't hear so he's like, well, I guess what we could do is give you an MRI because, I mean, there might be a neuroma or something inside there that we can't see. And I was like, oh, another appointment. I have a schedule. So eventually I got the MRI and um, that's when they found that I had a massive brain tumor. And they were like, you're not, you should, you should go to a neurosurgeon. Like right away. It wasn't well, a wait on Well, it's like my ENT couldn't give me any advice. He was like, you just have to go to a neurosurgeon. Yeah. Like, I, I can't tell you because this is now not your ear. Yeah. It's not your ear. It's something else that's causing that so effect. The, so then you went and you had your surgery. And then what happened? Um, and as the surgery was an amazing success. And also getting from that ENT appointment to the surgery was there's a whole chapter about it, just so you know. It was very difficult. And the and the the theme of that is self-advocacy when you get sick. And you just be like, okay, I'll just wait until, you know, this doctor calls me back and then they don't call you back. You have to fight for yourself. And I want, um, if anyone takes anything away from the beginning part of my book, is about self-advocacy in your own health. You have to work. You can't just sit there and wait for the phone to ring. Even if you're like a busy mother or whatever, you have to say, okay, now it's time for me to get that appointment because I've been told to wait three weeks and I feel something is not right. And also, even before that, you are highlighting something that, you know, that Daphne, you did as well, that I did as well with like you're not allowed to get sick. We talk about it so many times on Mom Brain. You have to put your oxygen mask on before helping the person next to you. And if we're not okay our family unit does not work. And so if you're having headaches, if you're noticing all of a sudden this drastic change, trust your instinct and go around and talk to people until somebody searches, figures it out with you because you're worth it. Well, in some cases, it's almost like you how you have to ask yourself, how would I treat my child if this was happening with one of them? Like if one of your children suddenly lost their hearing, you wouldn't sit around and wait that for two months. That is a great way to look at I mean? it. Because I like, also noticed that I think one of the reasons I love being pregnant is that when I'm pregnant, I pay attention to everything about my body. Yes, you're on a And I run alert. to the doctor when anything goes wrong because I'm taking care of someone else. Yeah. So I think that also, just like you said, it's because it it's, might be easier for women who have had babies to remind themselves, treat yourself as if you are carrying another person, but it's you. Yeah. You are the person. Yeah. So it's the same concept. It's like, if your kid had lost their hearing, you'd run them into the doctor. So I think it's a, I, I think that's an amazing piece of advice. And I think we just kind of like came up with that. But <laughs> because it's really, really hard. We can all say, oh, put your oxygen mask on and 
go take care of yourself. But there's a little voice in our head. That says you can't. And you almost need like a little like rope tied around your wrist to we say. We call it a shot collar. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. we, we tell Cal he's allowed to put shot collars on us to rein us in. So, but you do. It's that it's or, or you need to your point earlier where you you worry you worry that if you take time for yourself or you do something it, it's self-serving, quote unquote, that it will be viewed negatively or it's, you know, you being selfish or you're, or you're taking you're you're stepping off the job of what you're supposed to be doing, which is taking care of everyone else. And I think um, you you either need to find someone in your life who will remind you to do that, who will remind you that it's OK and it's good and it's essential for you to take care of yourself or you need to start being it for yourself. And I think um, I don't, I'm, I'm just like I'm, I'm sitting here thinking you clearly are the the keystone of your family and you clearly together with Jim were so strong for your kids. How are you strong for yourself? Cause I, that's part of like what I want to drill down into because I do think you, you, like you said, you, there was training ground for you coming up to this extremely life altering experience. How, how, you know, how were you able to be strong for yourself? I think that it, I couldn't define it only as for myself because through myself, it was for them. Mm-hmm. So I feel like I charged ahead and head on to this thing for them. I don't know if I did it for myself because myself was connected to this other unit. And I, I don't know if that's bad, but just, you know, like we were talking about, you have to. You have to, you can't be passed out on the floor of the plane or your kids aren't going to ask oxygen mask on. So, but I think it's an interconnection. I think we're connected. And I think that our strength and the reason we work out and eat well and take care of ourselves and all this stuff is it's because we're connected to mm-hmm. this unit. So we're not just doing it for ourselves. We're not just being like, you guys are on your own. Um, peace out. I'm going to, um, you know, a, a girl's weekend that turns into like a year in like the South of France. Bye. <laughs> like we can't do that. Right. But we can do little things. We can do maintenance. As much as we want our kids to have a clean home and good food on the table, we want them to have a healthy mommy. Right. And that's extremely important. How has this experience changed the way that you, other than recuperating from being sick and having to do all the other treatments, how does it change your, your daily life um, in terms of how you take care of yourself? Well, it's it's put the focus uh, less on me being a, like a doer. So, and this is like it's kind of this is kind of a deep answer here. But I think before I, my identity and my ego was kind of caught up in what I was producing, what I was showing, and like you talk about Instagram, and I mean, I it wasn't like Instagram for me, but like my life was kind of like this is what I've done, mm-hmm. and these are my kids, and this is how they look, and this is how this is my body of work, and this is what I've written, and I've you know, and it wasn't for anybody else, but it was like serving some kind of like need that I had. So I was kind of addicted to doing. Mm -hmm. And um, when I was, um, what happened was the surgery was really successful, but then my um, cranial nerves were compromised. So I wasn't able to breathe and swallow like a normal, like with an involuntary muscle. So Mm -hmm. what happened was I aspirated and I got double lung strep pneumonia. And Mm -hmm. that's what really, um, you know, made me very close to death and in the ICU for a long time because I couldn't breathe and they couldn't resolve the pneumonia. And so at that point, I was tethered to a lot of tubes. And that's when Jim, um, it wasn't just like the, the surgery part and running in and being like, great, because there was kind of a vision of, you know, either I'm not coming out of the surgery or I'm coming out of the surgery 
but not being able to walk or have a face or whatever. We, we were like not dealing with the future. We we're dealing with just the surgery. And when I came out of the surgery, the recovery what took mom out of the picture. And it added a lot more work for Jim because he then had to coordinate my whole family coming in where they were going to sleep. Like they, they did, you know, obviously they're adults and they could eat and feed themselves and whatever, but you know how it is even on a holiday. Yeah. If you're hosting a yeah. bunch of like siblings and people and visitors, you have to be like, okay, these are the visiting hours at the ICU. We want to make sure someone's there for Jeannie all the time. We want to make sure that there's a relative around the children so if daddy is spending the night at the hospital, are they going to wake up with grandma? You know, they, we didn't want our children to get traumatized. And so we wanted, we didn't want to just be like, okay, you know, here's like a nanny to like spend the night. We wanted to be like, we want family. And we wanted to be like kind of like a holiday when everyone sees each other and, and everything like that. And like this big support network. And just as an aside, my friend, Karen, who has two kids, um, and great kids, but she would always like, every time we get pregnant again, she'd be like, are you f***ing out of your mind? Another kid? What are you doing in Manhattan? Def- definitely. And I understand that well. That's what uh-huh. our friends say to us too. And when she was in the, the situation, like visiting me at the ICU and saw all these siblings coming in and out and, 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 she, and she was like, I get it. I understand why you wanted to replicate the chaos of your childhood because it's for this higher, like you have, you're, you have best friends now. And so we can look at our kids and be like, they're going to be, they're going to have each other's back. Like no one else, nobody is, is more alike in the world than them Mm -hmm. because they have the same Same DNA. DNA. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And like, they can look at each other. I mean, there were things that with my siblings that we, with my, my sister Elizabeth, I talk about her in the book, we're, we have like 16 years between us wow. and we're like best friends. That's and like amazing. she was, and, and it was interesting because I used to always complain to my, my sisters, because I have five sisters who have children about the ones that didn't have children. Cause I'm like, what do they think? They don't understand us. Like what they have their own, you know, they don't show up and the kids are like, where's auntie, you know? And we're like, they don't get it. But when I was in the hospital, it was actually the ones that didn't have kids yet that could be there the most Mm -hmm. because they didn't have like a sick kid at home and needed mommy. And I was like, wow, it's so I'm so I understand you so much more, you know, in this way that 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 God put you here to help take care of me in this situation. How long did this whole process go? Well, it's kind of still going. It's still going. But this the really sort of scary part of the woods, it was like, I think that. Um, after I think getting home from the hospital, even though I was still on the feeding tube and the machines, getting out of the hospital, which was like three weeks, I really felt like I wasn't going to die. And Jim relaxed and he became funny again because when I was in the hospital, he wasn't funny anymore. Other people were funny who came to visit me. And I loved funny people because I married a funny person. And, um, and he wasn't funny when he was in the hospital. He was like, Mr. Mom and the nurse and the the coordinator and all this stuff. And I just, there was a lot of guilt I had because I'm like, I'm not there for my kids. My husband's not funny anymore. Oh, and like, I'm letting the whole America down. Oh. And like, you know, I'm my Jim got his money back. Nobody's worry. labeling the food in the refrigerator. And oh. Who knows how old it is? And, you know, I was like just stressing out. But, but what I, 
Um, and I'm going to get to the, the the answer of your question because it was like about a year before I could really like feel like me. Yeah. But um, there was different phases. Like w- when I got rid of the tracheostomy, when I got rid of the feeding tube, there were big milestones. Yeah. But, you know, when I could like, you know, jump in, do a book tour like all day long, like, you know, not last year. This probably. is huge. So this was, you know, two years ago. So, um, but when I was in the hospital and I was going through the withdrawal of of my life, withdrawal from my children, withdrawal from food and drinking, withdrawal from my funny husband. And I was just like enforced into this like monastery of my own body, looking at the ceiling, not being able to move, not being able to talk, write, smell my kids' heads. All the things that have defined you and your career up until this point, especially as you just said, that your whole life up until that point had been like, what do you produce? What do you create? And now you're you're forced to go internal and what happened? And who do I take care of? And now all these like people are taking care of me. So it was like a a complete role reversal. I had no idea. I'm the type of person who has like, I need to know what's going on all the time. Like, I just feel like more in control if I know where, what people are doing and where my kids are and what, where everyone is at all times. And your kids are young. Like, when they get older, they go places mm-hmm. and you have to be one like, of my biggest fears. <laughs> I mean, I have like GPS, like Life360 is an app. I can see my, and there's little faces all over Manhattan. My yes. mom does that with Find That's Your Friends. Genius. I have, to, I know certain moms on a side note. I have certain moms. They're like, oh no, I trust my kid. I don't want, I don't want to do that. And I think I'm like, I will not be trusting anyone and I will be knowing where they are at you all times. You can time. trust I'm your like, kid all you want. We live in New York City. Yeah. Exactly. You so, can trust them all you want, but it's the other people that you don't trust. Right, right. Like, I, mean, I trust you, just not all the millions of other yeah, people. Yeah. How has the experience adjusted your marriage? How has that had to sort of recalibrate I mean, it, too? It, but the experience, I have to say on the other side, has adjusted everything in a much better way. Mm-hmm. Everything, it's just like, you know, the labor pains before the beautiful little baby. Like, I feel like right now I'm 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 holding a beautiful baby and it's my life. And wow. um, I can't look back because also like this whole experience with the brain tumor like I wanted to have a couple more kids you know and it was like I was the reason I put off going to that MRI is because I thought I was pregnant because the symptoms of a brain tumor are surprisingly <laughs> interesting <laughs> close to the symptoms of early pregnancy dizziness think about it yeah. headaches the hormones like you know many of the similar things it was the ear though it was the hearing that was like, that's not a pregnancy. Yeah, I can't explain that one away. But um, I can't look back and be like, oh, darn, if I only had not had a brain tumor, I would have had seven kids by now. You know, it's like uh, whatever this this life and what happened to me was so definitive in my marriage. Like my husband, like figured out what it was like to be me. He didn't do a very good job at it, but he did <laughs> under he understands me more. And I understand him more because I got to spend a lot of time in bed. No, I'm, that, that was a mean <laughs> thing. But so, um, but anyway, my my kids became less dependent on me. They became a little more like they would come before they would come in and be like, "I don't know how to do anything, Mom." Mm-hmm. And I'd be, "Don't worry, I'll do it all for you." Mm-hmm. And I feel like now, um, I kind of live my life more with my kids as a parent. With like, what if, like, I, I pose this question to the two of you. What if you had to go away? It's one of my biggest fears. But, and this is one thing where I know is I have, sev- I have like severe anxiety about it. Like, I love Daphne. 
she goes off and like has like romantic vacations with her husband. Not like all the time, but like a, a very reasonable, amazing amount. And I look at that and I have such terrible anxiety about that. And it's it's just a terrible, terrible fear I have. I mean, you know, I even when you're at work in between, I'm like checking in. Where is everybody? Is everybody okay? Does anyone need anything? Because that's that's my codependence with them. I think there's a challenge in looking at a couple of things. One is like, what if you got sick and you had to go to the hospital? Have you set up a situation in your life that's unmanageable for your husband or for a caregiver or a sister or a mother or someone who would need to step Seven. in? for you. Um, I don't say live your life in fear, but just think about Be prepared. Be pre- put some room in your schedule for, um, you know, some meaningful activities rather than over filling your schedule with things that will become unmanageable for someone else to handle. I don't think that anything bad is going to happen to either of you, but I think that leaving a little, like trying in my life, I used to feel guilty if I had a Saturday with no plans. Yeah. I'd be like, I'm a bad mother. They should all be learning tennis or <laughs> yoga or cooking or you know how it is in yeah. New York. It's like, what if we just didn't do anything on a Saturday? Like that wasn't even in my, now I'll do it. And I'll be like, okay, as long as it's not like iPads all day, Yeah, you know. You're I, okay with a little downtime. And also it's like, we have all these toys. Like we have all these toys and it's like the only they we we should like take open that box of that craft that someone gave you for mm-hmm. the birthday party like three years ago that we shoved in the back of the closet. Yeah, because I because mom didn't want to clean up all the parts. <laughs> you know, we all have that thing. <laughs> We're like, really, let's not even open this. We're gonna re-gift it because I'm not it's it's too blue Mine is like the billions of beads. Yeah. 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 I'm like, nope, nope. But someone gave me an ant farm once. Oh, I'm like, oh, never. No, no, no. no those no, ants are dead. I hate to break it to you. Never hatching. You know, I I um. What it makes me think about going, you know, the the sort of, you know, when, when John and I, before we had kids, we talked about wanting to bring our children into our lives, not have our lives become all like all our children and their, you know, their management, basically. And and what that meant to me, I, I, I really resented when people would say to me, I was pregnant with Philomena and they would say, oh, don't worry, you'll get your life back in 20 years. And I felt that was really vicious and like crazy and negative because a, because my life doesn't stop when I have kids, my life becomes bigger. It becomes, it encompasses them. It becomes so much wilder and more wonderful and, and full of love and full of chaos and also full of things that I want for myself. And I think about that sometimes, like I don't, you know, part of why John and I make time to take a weekend here and there or, you know, reconnect however it is that we feel, um, you know, that, that we feel in that moment we need for each other is because I don't want to wake up in 20 years and feel like I put all the things I cared about for myself or for my marriage on hold. Um, and it does, it can feel, so, I, I, I don't, I really have gotten rid of a lot of the mom guilt, ways that I felt mom guilt in the past, but I don't pretend that there aren't moments where like, you know, that, that creeps in. But I also firmly believe that your kids learn how to be happy from seeing you be happy. And if being if if never leaving them makes you happy, they feel that. And if having dinner alone with daddy once a week makes you happy, they feel that. And, you know, I think yeah. that I really think that and don't I mean, no, don't and, deny and, yourself like you know, I you, think you, that you know. definitely I mean, I I does it make me happy to be with them? Yes. But at the same time, one thing that I am working on in my personal life is being able to like let go a little bit. I just don't know how to do that yet. But I'm very honest about where I am. At this. I'm like, this is my 
This is all I'm capable yeah, there's of. There's no right or wrong. I think that both of your like stories of, of, are beautiful. I think it's amazing that you can do that. And I think that, you, you know, I, I'm much more like you. <laughs> Anxiety. Like, the one time I do that, someone's going to like get hit by a car. Yes. Like it's like that. I know that. We have a, a similar anxiety about that, but I also have like a really dear friend who has six kids and she and her husband always go away together. Yeah. And it's and magical and it's so good for and them they're too, the right? they're amazing parents and their kids never miss a beat. And like, it's just different. Like it's kind of like you do you type thing, totally. you know? And I think it's exactly like you said, if, you, if they're going to see mom happier because also they don't want to see mom coming back from the, you know, Bahamas with dad being like, oh my God, is everyone okay? I'm so miserable. I was terrible the whole time. And then she, and then the, your dad is like, I'm never going away with you again. Like, you know, so it's like, you do want to um, present like this kind of joyful, you know, life and whatever it is. And if you want to work on like getting away, great. But I'm in a situation where Jim is traveling all the time right, for work. So right. when he comes back, I'm not going to be, be like, see you losers later. I'm going with dad <laughs> to the Bahamas. Right. So to me, and also we do travel with the kids and we do find a way in certain um, situations where we can, you know, be in France or whatever and the kids can do one thing and mom and dad can go right. out for that's, a that's what That's what we do. Um, I do, before we end, want to touch on the fact that you said that you lost a baby. And because um, this is something that we've talked about before on Mom Brain. I had miscarriage in the spring. Um, a lot of people we've spoken to either have had miscarriages or have had a baby that they had that did not that did not survive. How did you feel about having one afterwards? How, how, how I mean, we, this whole episode has been a lot about courage and that, you know, I'm pregnant again and it, it had a lot of, took courage for me to want to do it again. Yeah. But it's like, I, to me, and I'm just saying my own experience, the baby afterwards, and I tell a story in the book that it's like, I can't share it right now because we don't have enough time, but the baby after the miscarriage and also after the um, the crib death was the biggest miracle, like baby. And there was an angel that was with her. Like I felt that that was why she was. Like my Katie would not be if it wasn't for her sister who like ushered her into this world. And I really believe there's meaning in it. And I think that when, you know, bad things happen to us in life and hard things happen to us in life, we tend to either understand the meaning in the big picture of our lives or we just get caught up in the bad things happening to us. And I think it's very um, beautiful that I have this connection with this child who is not physically with me, but I'm still the mother of that child. And I feel like that helped me. It was, it, it was courageous to, to have the other baby because I was like, I can never go through this pain again. And at the time, the doctors told me, the only way we know what is wrong with why you went into premature labor is if it happens again. So we would suggest that you don't have any more babies. And I had, had two, uh, two children at that point. So I knew that I wanted more children. And I knew that uh, it was a risk that I had to take. But when that baby was born on Mother's Day, 
which is like a made up Hallmark holiday. <laughs> but I knew and I'm Catholic. So I was like, I knew like the Blessed Mother was like, it's my, my month. It's May. I'm with you. And I, I've suffered too. Like my kid died too. And I, I felt that like Katie was, you know, this angel and she had an angel with her and she still does. And, um, it was like, you know, not to belittle any of my other kids, but that baby and that birth experience and that experience for me of healing, that baby healed the wound that that other child's death caused me that I, I really didn't think I would ever be able to get over. Thank you. Um, we have to, um, we're going to ask you what your favorite thing is. So we do something here on mom brain, which is, uh, what you're really into right now. So changing gears completely. Whatever you're telling your girlfriends about right now. Okay. So my thing is right now, you know, I'm, I'm doing this book Mm -hmm. when life gives you pairs, right. Which is a big, like, sort of like, it's, it's like sharing your diary with the world. So one of the things that, um, I realized in it and it's my like thing right now. It might not be cool, but it's smelling my children's heads. <laughs> That's what I'm into because I now that I've gone through this whole thing where I've written this book and relived this horrible thing that I went through in this recovery. And then I recorded it on audio. So I was like, oh, again, I have to hear the story. <laughs> it sucked so much um, to go through it. But I remember you know, memories come back to you. And I remember being in the ICU and not being able to be with my children. Just like when you're hungry and you can almost imagine the smell of that like delicious apple mm-hmm. pie baking mm-hmm. or whatever, I could smell their heads. And it wasn't always like Johnson and Johnson shampoo. It was like, you know, sometimes it's a little <laughs> like dirty, musty, like personal. It's, it's kind of yeah. like a little sweaty and a little dirty. And But everyone has their own little smell and their head is kind of, has that smell. And so what I'm really into right now is smelling my kids' heads. I love that. And I being like, I'm here and I can too. smell. Yeah. And, and not head. being like, ew, go wash your hair. I'm like, oh, I love it. I love the smell of your head. Fantastic. Thank you so much. Thank you. Mom, so that was Jeannie Gaffigan. I and mean, I think one of the most amazing lessons that we can take away from this is if there's something that's a little bit off, trust your gut. It doesn't, it doesn't hurt to go check. You know, you're always, you're not crazy. You're not a hypochondriac. Just go get it checked out because, um, you deserve it and your family deserves it. Yeah. Agreed. I think, um, you know, I talk, I talk a lot about why I wanted to have a lot of kids and why I wanted to create this big family dynamic. And it's because it's what I, it's what I grew up in. Like when she was describing the chaos of her family meals and, you know, 15 different immediate relatives coming through to, to pick up the slack where it needed, um, you know, that felt very familiar to me. And it's, it's, it was really wonderful to hear that. But I also think something that she took away from on the other side was, you know, you don't want to set your family up for disaster. Like you can't have taken on so much that God forbid you were out of commission for a day, let alone a year, the way that she was, that people couldn't support around you. And I think that that's, um, you know, you should never have to get sick to feel like you need support. You should, and you should be able to ask, um, you know, to ask people to step in and take something off your plate, especially if you feel like it's running you ragged. Um, And I just thought that that was a really interesting way of looking at the world of, of 
yes, there were people there to fill in and step in and that and she's so grateful for that support. Um, and also, you know, let 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 people do more for you on the daily so that you don't feel like if you go missing, there's you know, there's nothing that's going to be possible. And now it's time for our favorite things. Now it's time for our favorite things. Yes. What's your favorite thing today, Daphne? So a really quick dinner that my family's been loving right now are um, their buckwheat mushroom rice ramen noodles from Lotus Foods. And I will tell you, these cook in like five minutes and they're not, you know, people hear ramen and they think college food, completely nutritionally devoid, disgusting, horrible. This is really nutritious um, and your kids will love it. My kids gobble these By up. By the way. You just stole my favorite thing. Excuse me? Literally stole my favorite thing. But you know what that means? It's really good. It's really good. Anyway, tell me how you cook yours and then I'll tell you how you No, cook I, so they, they, you can put it in the broth that comes with this little like packet broth. But I just cook I mine. haven't tried the broth. Yeah, I'm I don't not, do I don't need it. I, the kids don't want it. They literally want it with, my, my kids are now obsessed with soy sauce, which I think is hilarious. So we do um, either just like, you can use, you can use ghee or, or olive oil or a little bit of butter and toss them after they're cooked. But you said they're not obsessed with soy sauce? No, they're obsessed oh, with soy too. sauce. Oh, mine too. Like I the, water it down though. I get the tamari low sodium and I water it down because then they don't know the difference. That's really smart because my kids are really salt fiendy. Like they want it all. It's good. It's really good. They're smart. They're smart. And they put, so we put a little butter on and a little soy sauce, which basically makes it taste like fried rice. And sometimes I will scramble an egg and toss that into. (laughs) What? (laughs) What? Okay, I'm going to tell you how mine is different. Please. This is what I do. So I cook the, I cook the noodles and they have so many different flavors, by the way. So this is the one thing I'm going to be able to add to it because, you know, in my mind. My mind is blown by this situation. Is they have a black rice one. Ooh, they have yeah. a like a jade rice one mm-hmm. or something like a green one. We have so many different mm-hmm. kinds of noodles out there. So what I do is I cook it and then I'll cook a scrambled egg into it. Mm-hmm. And then I put the tamari and nutritional yeast. So it's almost like cheesy. Nutritional yeast was the only other thing that I was going to say is the best thing to add to these. Okay, guys, if you Daphne don't make these damn noodles, each other. literally the Ilaria and Daphne winter noodles. If you don't make these, you are missing out. <laughs> <laughs> and you know what's nice about it? It's protein. People, nutritional yeast, I feel like we've talked about because we both love it so much. It tastes like cheese, but it's a complete vegan protein. Tons of B vitamins. Great for energy. So delicious. It's vitamin B12 that if you are plant-based, you it's cannot really get it if you don't eat meat. So this is the only way to get it is my understanding. I think that some mushrooms have B12 in it. Maybe. I don't know. Don't quote me on that. But in any case, our winter noodles this week for your kids. For your kids, please to enjoy. <laughs> and for you also. See, like this is also for me as leftovers go, something that I actually really Really delicious. enjoy it. It's so Sometimes good. in the morning, I will just heat up their dinner from the Have night you, before. You can Alec make it into pancakes. It, also, the you can make like little um, like bricks out of it and do like an egg on top. Oh, oh my so god, good. so good! <laughs> so my other favorite thing is also unhealthy <laughs> because Daphne stole mine. Um, is curry deodorant? It smells good, so it's a natural one. Mm. I use it all the time, and unless people are not telling me that I actually smell bad, I feel like it works. Good. Um, curie, how do you spell curry? C U R I E. Curry deodorant, and they just came out with a bunch of new smells that I have not smelled yet, but the one that I use is the original one called White Tea. I also like that it's not super namaste smelling mm-hmm. in terms of like I was not so, patchouli. Yeah, I want it's not like you know mint and sticks. I want to smell like kind of like floralish. Yeah. Um. So I really like it. Um. It goes on nice and easy. It's not cakey. It doesn't like pill under your armpit. Right. Um. So I really like that. Highly recommend Curie deodorant. Fun. All right, guys, that's it from us this week. Tune in next week. Um, 
I can't tell you who's coming next week. Am I allowed to tell you who's coming next no, week? No, you're not allowed to tell okay, who's coming fine. next week, but you can tell them to rate, review, well, subscribe. <laughs> I bet you guys know that by now. Rate, review, subscribe. It's, it's going to be drilled into your head like, you know, a, a recurring us. nightmare. Email us, mombrainpod at gmail.com. All right, we love you. We'll Bye. see you next week. Bye. See you next week. This is Mom Brain with Ilaria Baldwin and Daphne Oz. Mom Brain is a Gallery Media Group original production. All right, we're going to play a game, and it's called My Husband or My Kids. are going to do like a little rapid fire of different scenarios and you tell us. I did have brain surgery by the way. (laughs) (laughs) You know what? You seem like you're pretty (laughs) you're perfect for mom brain. Um, (laughs) um, And you're going to tell us if it was your husband or your kids. Okay. Who's more likely to eat something off of the ground? My kids. Gross. Who's more likely to make the bed? My kids. Yay. Who do you have to reprimand for misbehaving in public? My husband. I don't even know if that's accurate. <laughs> Who's most likely to eat the last cookie? My husband. Who is most likely to eat the entire cookie package in one sitting? My husband. Delicious. I'm telling. <laughs> most likely to wear the same outfit three days in a row? My husband. Ew. Mine too. <laughs> most likely to not want to take a bath? My husband. Yucky. Mine too. I have to say. No. Ding, 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 ding. You win. You get to keep your family. Yes. <laughs> yes. yes. 